This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me for a much-anticipated Homer interview is the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. It's so nice to be with you all again for another edition of our 31 Beats series. This, if I'm counting correctly, will be beat number seven. And it features Haley Salvian talking to us or teaching us about all levels of the Ottawa Senators pipeline. We talk about what's going on in their NHL team and even more importantly, what's happening with their AHL players and what we can expect from them going into the league next year. It was a crazy informative interview, like gathering all those pieces that I go hunting and pecking for whenever I need sends info. But now it's all just in one handy place. Yeah, and we're dropping it for your listening pleasure. Uh, at the start of the interview, you'll notice that Brian needs to sort of get some things off of his <laughs> chest about how tough it's been for him to be a Sens fan over the years. But once we get past that, it was all knowledge all the time. You'll also notice that Elon shouts out his mom because we recorded this on Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day, Elon's mom. And, and, and everyone my mom. else's mom. Yeah, and all the And moms. everyone's mom. Yeah, all we're going to drop this on today on Sunday so everyone can still listen to this and then be reminded to send flowers to their mom if it's not too late. <laughs> uh, so, Brian, before we get to the show, let's mention a couple things. First, we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the top fantasy hockey website in the freaking world. You want to be checking it out every day to be up to speed with everything going on in fantasy hockey. You'll get articles. Doesn't matter. Are there games? No. Are there articles? Yes. That's how good <laughs> DauberHockey.com is. Plus, they have all those great tools over at Frozen Tools. So I use it to prep the shows every single time we do one of these interviews. Super handy resource. The other thing, normally in this time slot, we've been promoting our Patreon, which is only a dollar right now to get all of the perks we offer, including our great patron cast oh <laughs> that we recorded last week, which was a lot of fun. And I definitely recommend people sign up as a patron and go listen to the patron cast. But I'm that's, not going that's to... What we, that's only what we normally do. We're not, we're not doing it now. Yeah, normally I would say to go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron, but I want to ask for now instead, I'm going to take a week off of promoting the Patreon and ask if anyone is listening to this and liking our 31 Beat series, we would really appreciate if you wouldn't mind going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star review. Uh, that's a great way for people to find us. And I'm sure right now people might start searching for hockey content as the draft is approaching. And if you could help us go to the top of those search results on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it. So yeah, that's what we're asking for, that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. But aside from that, Brian, any final thoughts before we cut to the interview? Uh, if you're going to go do us that wonderful favor of heading over to give us a five-star review, it'd be really nice if you wrote a note too. I think those carry more weight and we always love to see what you think. So uh, write us a little note after clicking or as you click the five-star button. And I hope, I know you're going to be tempted to do that. We'll, we'll have justified you doing that with this amazing interview we have, we have with Haley Salvian about the Ottawa Senators coming up right this Bam, second. <laughs> I should have said second before bam. Okay, everybody, really excited for this upcoming interview. We've got the beat writer from the Athletic Ottawa covering the Ottawa Senators, Haley Salvian. Thank you so much for joining us, Haley. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. 
It's really exciting to talk to you and to talk about the Ottawa Senators because this team, they've been like a wild team to follow over the past four years. Brian, you know, living in Ottawa, has been going through the ups and downs. I get to be somewhat more of a passive observer, but you got to admit, pretty crazy. Like I I was just looking back at like their 2015-16 team. I kind of want to do like a super quick history and then ask you about what to expect. But like this team back in like 2015-16, they had like Carlson, Mark Stone, Mike Hoffman, Zibanejad. This looked like a team on the rise. Then they had that crazy run in 2016-17 where they make it to the conference finals before Chris Kunitz knocks them out in double overtime. And then, yeah, things got very interesting. They made that trade for Matt Duchesne, which turned out to be a bit of a disaster. I guess they thought they were going to be a contender, but then things kind of fell apart. And that led to them trading Eric Carlson and Mike Hoffman. And then the next year, they traded Stone and Duchesne to Zingle at the deadline. So, like, going into 2019-20, I guess none of us were expecting too much from the Sens. My mom has friends. She lives in Ottawa that were longtime season ticket holders, and they decided not to renew because of how mad they were at Melnick and Dorian for trading away all the players. So I guess, yeah, to start, I'd love to just ask you, like, what were you expecting from the Ottawa Senators going into the season? And were you surprised by how things have played out? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, this is my first year in Ottawa. So I think for me coming into it, I missed a lot of the the craziness of everything that happened from that 2015, 16 on um, a lot of the beat writers, um, you know, there's only so much that you can you you can research and read about online. You know, you really have to experience those kind of things as as a fan and a journalist to truly understand everything that happened. Um, so I feel like for me, you know, I came in on, on, with a blank slate. I, obviously, I knew all the history and everything that happened. And you know, I've I've said this on podcasts before, and um, everyone always you know, they, they hate me a little bit, but you know, growing up, I was a Penguins fan. So I do remember that Chris Kunitz double overtime goal from a bit of a different lens. Um, Uh. I wasn't, I wasn't (laughs) working in hockey yet. Um, like I was still just, I was in university at the time. I was still a big, um, hockey fan, big, uh, I grew up a big Penguins fan. Um, my mom's French Canadian, so she always loved Mario Lemieux. So I remember that double overtime goal a little bit differently because I obviously wasn't covering the team or any team for that matter. But, um, you know, I, I was a casual observer. I was always a big hockey fan. So I, I remember seeing everything that was happening in Ottawa. And obviously, as someone who understands the game and, and watches hockey and, and, you know, wanted to cover it, I, I saw everything that was happening. And But yeah, I think coming into covering the team, my expectations were this is a rebuilding franchise. Um, they have, I think, three players left from that that cup run. Um, it's going to be a completely different. Well, they have three players left now after the trade deadline. Um, and I, I kind of just knew that, you know, everything that you know about the Senators, like I didn't want to come into my first year on the beat, like thinking of everything that had happened in the past, if that makes sense. I think for me, I wanted to go in with a fresh perspective um, and a clean slate and and really just say, OK, this team is rebuilding. Let's focus on the positives. Um, not that, you know, obviously if there was something big that happened that, you know, was super negative, you would you would bring attention to it. You're not going to ignore things just for the sake of positivity. Um, but I think for me, I kind of wanted to leave all that stuff in the past. I think it's important context, um, but just coming in new, I didn't want to walk in on my first year and say, like, look at all these things you guys did the past four years when I wasn't even here yet, um, if that makes any sense. So I think I... My expectations were, um, let's look forward to the future um, and see what they're trying to build here. That's a really interesting and probably the healthiest perspective to follow (laughs) the Senators with right now. And to say just one season at a time, of course, like there are Twitter threads full of like novel worthy stuff of just like the the sequence of mishaps and misfortunes that Mm -hmm. have befallen this franchise over the last however many years like the most random things and it's like oh of course this is an Ottawa Senators story just like the weirdest happenstance you know like a a fire in a player's backyard and the the Uber drive like all of that so you coming in and like you're just like I'm starting clean with that and I'm like no but remember all this we can't let it go but I appreciate that you are and like it like I said definitely the healthiest way to to look forward from here and you don't have all of that baggage that you're coming in with that a lot of Senators fans unfortunately do have, which puts you in a unique position to try and be optimistic. So through that lens, 
Uh, going back to, you know, we're talking about Elon's mom's friends, I think is a, <laughs> got a shout out for some reason on our show. So um, if Elon was talking to his mom and his mom was like, hey, Elon, when should my friends become season ticket holders again um, for the Sens to have like when the Sens have a legitimate shot at being a playoff team? How far out in the future should Elon tell his mom to tell her friends <laughs> to become season ticket holders again? I think a lot of that would depend on what happens with whatever, you know, draft lottery and, and draft is going to happen. I think if you get the first overall pick, you can probably get those season tickets right away. Cause I think the opportunity to see Alexi Lafreniere play live for a full 82 game schedule in the national hockey league would be incredible. Um, but I think for waiting for them to be legitimate contenders, um, I think that timeline again does differ a little bit. Um, you know, I did a fan survey on The Athletic and we kind of gauged where fans were thinking. Um, I could see the Senators probably making like the first round of the playoffs within two years if they have a good draft, but I don't really see them winning a playoff series for another three. So I think it depends on what it is that uh, uh, Elon's mom wants to see. Um, <laughs> if she wants to see an elite elite talent, um, I would get them the minute that they draft Alexi Lafreniere. If that happens, um, the Detroit Red Wings have, you know, with this new proposal would have the the greatest odds at that. So we'll see what happens. Um, but if she wants to see, you know, a, a, a playoff contending team, I would probably wait another two seasons. Okay, but even two seasons sounds pretty good considering like it looked really bare just a couple of years ago. So you have to give the Sens mm-hmm. some credit. Like obviously this uh, Eric Carlson to the Sharks thing ended up working out pretty well. No one expected the yeah. Sharks to be such a bad team this year, but already they made an interesting move. Like if you look back at the 2018 draft where the Sens drafted Brady Kachuk, I remember at the time a lot of people were sort of surprised or wondering if the Sens made a mistake because A, some people thought they should have given that pick to Colorado because then they wouldn't have to give away their pick in the following season. And then B, just the fact that they picked Kachuk instead of, I remember, Philip Zadina at the time was the player that a lot of people thought would have gone fourth overall. Uh, but now two seasons in, yeah, you got to imagine people are happy with how things turned out because, first of all, that pick in 2019 that Otto ended up giving to Colorado wasn't Jack Hughes. It ended up being fourth overall again. They took Bowen mm-hmm. Byram. And also, Brady Kachuk has looked fantastic through his first two seasons in the league. Like this past season in particular, sure, he had, you know, 21 goals, 44 points, which seems, you know, fine, like not amazing. But he had a 51 point pace, but like he took 259 shots, which was good for eighth in the league. And that was with, you know, his most common line mates being guys like JG Pajot and Connor Brown, who are decent players, but hopefully not the best he's going to have at his disposal over the next few years. So I guess my first question about Kachuk is like, has all the questioning of the Sens deciding to take Kachuk in 2018 been quashed at this point? And then also, do you think it's possible that Kachuk, you know, could take a big step next year? Brian's been predicting that he could potentially jump up to be a 40-goal guy if he could up that shooting percentage, maybe have some better line mates. Yeah, well, and that's a good question. I mean, I think you would hope that any of the questions about drafting Brady Kachuk are gone. Um, and I know when that draft happened, you know, the Senators were a rebuilding team. They're in the bottom of the league and they don't even have a first round draft pick. I know that that hurt a lot of fans. And I think a lot of critics were like, what's happening here? Um, but yeah, I think one of the things I see with Brady is obviously there's the Philip Sedina. And then there's also, I know Montreal likes to, I know Sens fans and, and Habs fans seem to have it out over Cockney and Brady as well. Um, so there's a lot of like tension around that Brady Kachuk pick, but I think if you ask most Senators fans, I think they're really happy about the pick. Um, Again, I'm going to reference the fan survey because I'm I'm so glad that I did it because I felt like I was able to get a pretty good read on on some of the fan base. We had almost a thousand um, responses and and he was the overwhelming favorite player on the Senators. Um, You know, he's only uh, what I think he's 20 years old. He's not even 21 yet. He was second overall in the league in hits behind... um, Ryan Reeves, who is way older, way tougher than Brady, um, which is really impressive. I know I asked TJ Smith once, you know, Brady Kachuk has, you know, only 10 less hits than Ryan Reeves and he can't even drink in America yet. You know, it's, it's pretty interesting when you look at it that way, you know, he's really tough. Obviously he can score and the amount of times you hear from the coach and the player saying like, he's the heartbeat of the team. And when Brady gets going, he drags everyone into battle so you would think that there's no question over the decision to to draft Brady Kachuk. I think he's probably their future captain. Um, it might take maybe another year. They'll probably wait for him to sign a contract extension before they give him the seat. 
Um, but I think he's a natural leader. I think he adds to the positive culture that the senators are trying to build. Um, and yeah, just statistically, if you look at the comparison between Brady and, and Philip Zudina, I mean, Brady's had two full seasons in the National Hockey League. Essentially, now he's had two back-to-back 71 game, uh, I believe 71 games, and he scored at least 21 goals each time and around 44, 45 points, whereas Zadina hasn't played a full season in the National Hockey League. Um, so I, I don't think there's a comparison anymore. I think I think that's just silly. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not he becomes a 40 goal scorer is interesting. Um, and you mentioned his line mates. I, I think the the one thing about Brady that was really interesting is a lot of people maybe questioned if he could um, continue to score at a good rate this year, considering he was playing with Mark Stone a lot in his rookie season. A lot of people kind of credited Mark Stone with a lot of his offense. And then this year without Mark Stone, he essentially did um, the same stat line. So I think Brady's shown that whether he's with an elite, um, you know, forward group or he's with maybe who someone who would be considered a depth player in Connor Brown or or JG Pajo, um, that he has the ability to score. Um, he's always in front of the net. Um, you know, he leads the league in shots 15 feet within the goal. Um, and his shooting percentage from there is incredibly high because he's so close. Um, I think 40 goals is lofty. Um, I don't think I would bet against him just because he's going to keep getting bigger. He's going to keep getting stronger and he's going to get better. So if Brady Kachuk is 20 years old and he's already had two 20 goal seasons by the time he's 25 and over 200, even like heavier, he's already 212. But if Brady can can add more weight and more skill, I would not bet against him scoring 40 goals in the future. So first off, I'm going to admit to being one of those Sens fans when they they drafted Kachuk over Zatino. I was like, oh come on, guys! Like, what, what really? do you do? And you, no. you don't know. Yeah, but like, I <laughs> I didn't like. What do I know? Right? I'm just a dumb fan. Like Elon's <laughs> like, do you feel like going into this interview like it's going to be hard for you because you feel like the Sens are the team that you like know the most about, and they're actually the team. I know the least a lot. Like I like to be an analytically inclined person, but I have all these biases that are like in me, like embedded in me since 92, 93 when the, when they came into the league. So yeah, I was, I was one of the ones who was disappointed, but now like I'm switched. And like, even if Zadina does get the opportunity and he does play well, like I see what Kachuk brings to the table. And I, I just like to think that Sens management knew it all all along and didn't just get lucky because like that that's still a thought in the back of my head but i'm gonna i'm gonna give this one to them no sorry like this is it this is the this is the difficult there's i have trust issues um right okay (laughs) no but i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm, i'm winding to a point here i promise what you said about kachuk doing without stone what he was able to do with stone um is pretty impressive. And it actually reminds me of what we talked about with uh, Alison Lucan on our Columbus episode and how Pierre-Luc Dubois, after Panarin left, was able to keep his numbers steady, which is a victory considering that Artemi Panarin is gone. So I see the same analog here with what Kachuk was able to do after Stone left. Just holding steady is a victory. Mm -hmm. And one thing you mentioned that I wanted to try and dig into a little more, you mentioned how uh, he gets the most shots in the league within the uh, 15 feet of the net and it shows in his expected goals numbers, right? He actually led the entire NHL in all strengths expected goals this year with just over 31 right behind him was Ovechkin and Aho and Dreisaitl and Connor, all these guys in his rear view mirror. So Brady Kachuk is doing these things to be so dangerous. One of these things is getting in close to the net. Is there anything you're able to pinpoint aside from just being close as to how Brady Kachuk does get such dangerous opportunities? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is, it's kind of a mental grind, right? Like when you watch a game and you just see Brady, he posts up in front of the net, he's a pest, he's pissing off the goalie, um, and he's creating space for himself. So he's, you know, making sure the defenders are off him. He's putting himself in the right position. He has a stick in the right position. Um, He practices those tip-ins every single day he's grinding for the rebounds um and he probably could have had more i know there was a couple times where he missed just wide right in front of the net and and stuff like that so you know it's it's his big frame um and he like he really has established himself as one of the best players from the low slot and in in that net front position um I, i don't i can't really pinpoint what it is i think it's just the strength and i think it's some of the mental fortitude as well to just 
go down there and for lack of a better word, take that abuse on a night and night basis. Um, he, it's not easy down there, especially for a 20 year old. Um, and you, you take a beating and that's why you see a lot of the scrums after whistles, a lot of people talking to Brady, he's walking away with that little grin on his face. Um, cause he, he just loves wreaking havoc down there. Um, and I think that's just a mindset um, that he wants to go in and make an impact. And that's the way that he does it. Um, and it's just creating that space for himself um, and just forcing himself into that spot. Cause it's not easy to stay there. You've got guys like Brent Burns trying to push you out of your crease and he's right. trying to stay there and saying, no, this is my spot. Um, that's why they call it the Chucky's office, right? Like he, he gets in there and he sets up and he's not moving. Um, and I think that's most of that battle, right? The rest is just, you know, tipping the puck or being in the right spot and, and staying there. Yeah, for sure. So clearly we're all uh, Kachuk fans here. And now I want to ask you about the other <laughs> star on the team, which is Thomas Shabbat. And I guess you weren't uh, covering the Sens at the time, but it was really fun to watch in 2018-19, like two seasons ago, when that was the Sens' first season without Eric Carlson. And right away, Thomas Shabbat starts with 23 points in his first 20 games. Meanwhile, Eric Carlson was kind of struggling out of the gate in San Jose. He only had 12 points in his first 21 games. So all of a sudden on Twitter, we're seeing all the hot takes of, oh, Thomas Shabbat's better than Carlson. How the Sens <laughs> were smart to get rid of Carlson when they did. Of course, like you said about Kachuk playing with Mark Stone, Shabbat was helped at the start of 2018-19 because he got to play with Stone and Duchesne. He was on a, like a better top power play. And then this past season, when those superstar players were gone, uh, Shabbat ended up with 39 points in 71 games. That's over a half point per game, which is good, but not as good as like the 65 point pace that he was on the season before. So mm-hmm. I guess now moving forward, as some reinforcements start to come in, do you think Shabbat can be the next Carlson that people were hoping for when <laughs> Carlson first left? Or do you think that that was sort of an anomaly and maybe this like 45, 50 point Shabbat is the more reasonable thing to expect moving forward? Um, You know, I think it's, uh, difficult to try to compare and, and maybe say, you know, he's going to be the next Eric Carlson. I, I maybe don't know if that's that's fair to Shabbat because that's pretty big expectations for a young player. But I, I think I see the comparisons when you watch him skate, just how smooth he is. It's effortless. You know, he played that 37 in 37.50, I think, game. And he didn't even, he was tired, but he was still gliding out there. Just the way that he effortlessly skates and, and his offensive abilities are really impressive and I I can see the comparisons there for sure um I think Shabbat has the potential to be a Norris Trophy winner I you know I think Matt Duchesne said it last year too um you know Shabbat has the potential to be a superstar in the National Hockey League I think most people would think that and know that um I don't know if he will get, you know, to the Baltimore Norris trophy winning, you know, best defenseman in the NHL level that Carlson did just because it's, I, I, it's hard to, to see that far ahead. You know, I think a lot of that depends on what happens with the senators. You know, if Shabbat gets a good D partner, if the team, um, if the team just gets better, it's going to be a little bit easier for Shabbat to, to raise his game. Um, one of the things too, that I know DJ Smith really pressed this year was for him to improve his defensive game. Um, you know, that's why you saw a little bit of that dip in his points. Um, he didn't score as much, you know, Mark Borbietsky was the leading goal scorer on the team this year, not Thomas Shabbat. Um, Shabbat did lead defenseman in points, but Borbietsky had seven goals and Shabbat, I believe had five or six, uh, forgive me. I, I don't remember exactly what he finished with, but, um, I don't think what you saw this year is the finished product for Thomas Shabbat. I think they're just trying to to build out a well-rounded game for him. Um, I think, you know, as a finished product, he'll, you know, I, I think I don't want to put the, you know, I don't want to put the without a doubt Norris Trophy Eric Carlson tag on him because um, I think that's like a huge proclamation to make. Um, but I do think, um, you know, he's going to be a, one of the biggest players for this franchise. Um, You know, he signed that huge eight year deal. He's going to be here for a long time. And I think he's going to be a superstar. And I don't think the point regression he had this year is a look at what he's going to be forever. I think, you know, what you said, his earlier, you know, 23 points in 20 games. I think that's a better look at what Shabbat can do for the senators. 
That's a relief, you know, to know that this season was the goal was to just make him a better two-way player and put him in these like crazy 37 and a half minute game situations. Yeah. Maybe maybe that wasn't the plan, but that's what happened. And knowing that uh, Shabbat building into a solid def- top pairing defenseman who can do a bit of everything rather than be just one or two dimensions is great. And also putting him in the same class as Carlson is like kind of a setup, Elon. We put, we hold Carlson in such rarefied air that uh, I think we need to wait another couple of seasons before we go that far. But how about um, looking at, because the Sens have like this embarrassment of riches on the blue line right now. It's not just Shabbat coming up and being like, oh, could he be somebody who approaches what Eric Carlson can do? Uh, Eric Brandstrom is also in the picture as another blue chip defensive prospect in the Senator system. He was taken 15th overall in 2017 by Vegas and was the key piece that Pierre Dorian, Dorian got back in the Mark Stone trade, which uh, brought out that famous quote, from Dorian that that was the best day of his life uh, get acquiring Eric Brandstrom when uh, when trading Mark Stone uh, and so we saw not a whole lot from Brandstrom uh, in his 31 games with the Sens this year but he was huge in Belleville putting up 23 points in 27 games he's 20 years old right now and like there's this funny sort of like a team would be lucky to have one of Shabbat and Brandstrom but the Sens have both so mm-hmm. I'm just wondering how do you see the team splitting offensive duties between the two, since both have this pedigree as being these these high end, uh, great creating, fantastic quarterbacking blue liners uh, on the same team, sharing time together. Yeah, so I think with Brandstrom, like you said, he's twenty years old. So I think um, the expectations you have to be a bit careful with for him too. I know he was touted as the Carlson two point when he when he came in in that trade and. You know, when he was in the NHL this year, he his first call up, he had uh, one assist um, or two assists. Um, that's not the offensive gift that the Senators, you know, expected and, and fans maybe expected. So I think you have to be careful with, you know, putting that uh, Carlson 2.0 crown on someone so quickly because he's 20 years old. Um, you know, his coaches in Belleville, I think they believe that he maybe needs another season or half season in the American Hockey League. Um, cause he needs to get that confidence. Um, I've watched Carlson or Carlson, Jesus. Now you guys got in my head. He's Carlson. Um, <laughs> Eric, you know, I've seen, I've seen, uh, dang it. Brandstrom, um, you know, in skills sessions and in practice, you know, he's a highly, highly offensive skilled and gifted player. Um, he just needs that confidence at the professional and national hockey league level. Um, and that's not going to come with just throwing him in, in that situation. Um, I think in the NHL, like I said, he didn't show that offensive gift in the way that I think the Senators wanted. Um, and that's why he got sent back down to work on his game. Um, it took him a little bit of time to get his game back. But then towards the end of the American Hockey League season, you were starting to see um, him controlling the puck, him controlling the play. Um, I think the coach down there, Troy Mann, does a really good job at um, evaluating the player and identifying the areas that they need to work on. And then he drills it in at the American Hockey League level um, so that the players really know, you know, what they need to improve on. And then they start working on it right away. Um, I know Troy told me he thinks that Eric is close to NHL ready, um, but he needs to stay healthy. He did run into some injuries um, and he probably needs a bit more American Hockey League time. As for, you know, balancing the um, you know, having two offensively talented players. I think that's where that um, trying to make them a bit more well-rounded comes into play. Um, I know Brandstrom and Shabbat were, were tapped to do a bit more defensive stuff um, just because you don't want someone who's going to be out there and yeah, they can score a highlight real goal. And then the next shift they're giving up a goal the other way, you know, you don't want your top pair defensemen to be a liability in that sense. So I think the senators are doing a good job in creating more well-rounded, but not, stunting their offensive talents at the same time um I think you know it's a good problem to have having two offensively talented players I don't think you would ever see them paired up together because that's when you maybe get into trouble I think where you balance that is where you get the you know the Shabbat Dylan DeMello pairings um I know there was some questions about Ron Hainsey but I think that's the situation you know you have a offensive guy and Shabbat and then you have a stay-at-home reliable um, you know, that's <laughs> reliable ish, whoever you want to put there, um, with him to, to stay at home and guard and guard the blue line. Um, I think having two offensively gifted players, you know, one, two as your pairings, you know, first, first pair, second pair is, 
not a problem at all. I think that's a great thing for the senators to have. Yeah, well, so it's interesting to hear that you're saying maybe Brandstrom still has another year or at least a half season in the AHL before we see how this plays out. But it will be interesting. You say like it's sometimes a team will have these two offensive defensemen. They have to decide what to do with them. It's actually a nice analogy to San Jose, right? Because they have Carlson and Burns. So it'll be fun if the San Jose has the older guard of two offensive defensemen while Ottawa has these two young ones. I guess I'll ask you really quickly about another defenseman in the system. They drafted this guy, Lassie Thompson, in the last draft, 19th overall. I assume he's still like years away. He's super young. But do we expect him to go to the AHL next season? Have you heard anything about him? I haven't heard anything that's um, updated. I do think that the plan was for him to be in North America for the next season. Um, I don't want to be overly speculative. Like I said, I that's something that I've actually marked down as something to follow up with next time we maybe have an availability with, with someone within the organization. Um, I do think a lot of those plans are probably up in the air right now, just with everything that's going on in the hockey world. Um, I said, I did a bold predictions piece or, you know, like a, here's 10 things I think will happen in the year 2020, um, you know, on January 1st. And one of my predictions was that Lassie Thompson would have made his Belleville Senators debut this season in the playoffs, um, you know, given if his, you know, um, team in, in Finland was out of the playoffs, I maybe would have expected him to, to come to Belleville for their playoff run. Um, that was one of my predictions. So if I have to guess, I would say that he's probably going to be in the American Hockey League next season. Um, but I don't want to say that for sure, um, just because I haven't been able to confirm that with the organization. Well, that makes sense. Um, let's not put the cart before the horse here. We're all patient. Lassie Thompson will <laughs> yeah. get here when he gets here, but uh, we trust that you'll have the goods when we do know one thing <laughs> or another. Let's move on to talking about uh, another sense forward. Now that we've covered the blue line, uh, let's talk about Anthony Duclair, who is not a prospect, who once was a prospect, but now he's uh, he's, he's out of that age range, but still had this huge big breakout season for Ottawa. He was part of the return for Ryan Dezingle and seemed like one of these classic sends non-impactful kind of reclamation-y veteran trade returns. Like when the sends got declared, it reminded me of past acquisitions that the team had of players who came into the league with pedigree, but never found their game. Like Nikita Filatov and Wojtek Volsky and even Michael Bodker, not like probably <laughs> is the most recent one of that group, but Duclair actually came through. He had the good run, like going back in his career to why he had this pedigree. He had this run with Arizona in 2015, 16. That was pretty decent. But aside from that, he's just bounced around the league and struggled to get consistent minutes and deployment averaging fewer than 13 minutes a night with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And just before they traded him for Ryan Dezingle, uh, Blue Jackets head coach John Tortorella uh, had that, again, so many infamous quotes surrounding Sensplex, who criticized <laughs> Duclair, saying that Duclair doesn't know how to play, which was a fun quote to revisit as Duclair dropped. I think he had a hat trick, including the overtime game winner against the Blue Jackets uh, in his one of his games against them this year. Uh, and then Duclair finally once he got to Ottawa, was asked to be in a role that was hoped for from him, but he seemed to never be able to earn, but he kind of got it by default in Ottawa. And he made the most of it. Uh, once he got rolling, he exploded for 20 goals and nine assists in 29 games, got an invite to the All-Star game. But then, just as everybody was buying in and saying like, oh my gosh, this whole new leaf from Anthony Declare, he went missing. Like he only managed in his next 29 games 10 points total and only two goals, which was a far cry from what he had in that first run where he exploded onto the scene. So now going into next season, the big question that we want to know is who is Anthony Duclair? Is he the type of player that we should be expecting 30 goals, 60 points from next year? Or are we more concerned about what happened to him towards the end of the year where he went cold and became a non-factor? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, I think it's unfortunate, you know, there wasn't too many games left, but I think it's unfortunate that, you know, the, the organization and fans and everyone didn't get to see maybe what Duclair would have done down the stretch um, if the season was finished. I think, yeah, you know, his his goal scoring certainly dried up. Um, he had two goals. Only one was actually on a goalie. One was an empty netter. Um, and I, I think that was really difficult on Anthony, but I think what he did well, and, you know, DJ Smith talked about it a lot is he started working on the other parts of his game. Um, you know, he actually, you know, one of the things that 
Tortorella had mentioned a lot about Duclair is, yeah, he's fast and he can score flashy goals, but the guy doesn't know how to play defense. He doesn't know how to play the game the right way. So I think what I liked about Anthony Duclair when he did go dry is he didn't regress to that, you know, image or idea of what Tortorella had thought of him. He said, you know what, I'm not scoring, but I'm going to try to make an impact in other ways in the game. Um, I think it maybe took him a few games to be impactful when he wasn't scoring, um, just because I think he was probably focusing and on, you know, the, the drought and he was maybe gripping his stick a little tight. But I think what I liked about Duclair is he didn't become that guy who didn't know how to play the game. He said, okay, I'm not scoring goals, but I'm going to try to make an impact. I'm going to try to hit. Um, I'm going to, you know, play hard in the PK. I'm going to skate. I'm going to back check, four check, whatever. It sounds cliche, um, but he actually did some pretty good stuff. Um, what you can expect from Duclair next season, I'm not sure. I think you know, the 20 ish games that he went dry is still a really small sample size in the grand scheme of things um, to say, oh, this is what he is. Um, it's also a small sample size to say, you know, scoring that many goals before Christmas. Right. Um, so you kind of have this very, very split season from Duclair. Um, he's in team control. I expect them to give an ex- give him an extension. Um, I don't think that, you know, I think regardless of how he finished that, you know, tail end, of the season. I think he was only going to get a one or two year extension in my opinion, just because you had so many years of inconsistency from Anthony Duclair that just because he has one good offensive season, you don't want to sign him to a crazy big contract. You don't want to sign him for like a, you know, five times five or something. I I think that would be um, irresponsible to do. So I think regardless of what happened, you know, in that final 20 ish games that he's still going to get a one or two year deal. Um, he'll get a bit of a raise. He was only making 1.65 million. I think this season, um, he'll get a smaller extension. Um, so the senators can truly see, um, they'll be able to answer that question of who is Anthony Duclair. You know, that's going to come with this next deal. Um, they're going to see, was that a flash in the pan or is this a guy who can contribute for us in the future? Um, and I think if the rebuild is successful, then, you know, Duclair's not a guaranteed top six guy for the Senators. If they get a Lafreniere, if they get a Byfield, if Josh Norris, Alex Formanton, Drake Batherson, they're all ready. Duclair might be a middle or bottom six player. So then you maybe don't need him to score, you know, 30 goals, 60 points. Um, so I think who Anthony Duclair is, that's going to get answered next season. Right. Yeah. Actually, that's a really good point. It makes me kind of wary of, you know, in a fantasy hockey league, wanting to draft someone like Duclair next season, just because like you said, there's so many players coming up that could potentially push Duclair out of that top six. You mentioned uh, Batherson Norris. I was looking at uh, the Belleville Senators this past season, and there's a whole bunch of players that were really great that look like they might be ready to get time in the NHL, like all of Batherson, Logan Brown, Josh Norris, uh, Alex Formanton, Vitaly Abramov, Rudolph Balsers, all have seen time with the big club over the past couple of seasons when they weren't racking up points for Belleville. Uh, specifically, Batherson, Norris, Balsers, and Brown all paced for over a point per game in Belleville this past season, and then Formanton and Abramov paced for over 65. Uh, so I guess... My question to you about all of these guys, I, I, I feel like our listeners would love to even go through them maybe one at a time if we have time. Like, which of these players do you think are going to be making this jump to the NHL next season? It seems like potentially the Senators could be a whole different looking team if all of these guys are ready to start playing in the NHL full time. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I can certainly go through some of them for sure. I think... Um, and again, I'll lean on, you know, from the conversations I've had with Troy Mann, um, you know, him and I did a story. Um, I basically went through all the top prospects with him and he gave me his thoughts on if they're NHL ready and, and where they're at in their development um, at the beginning, of, I guess, a month ago in April. Um, you know, there's a lot of notable players, like you said, a lot of great prospects. Um, you know, Balsters is interesting because I don't know if he's a top six guy in the NHL. He's probably a bottom six. I think he's a good player. I think he's a good prospect. Um, but I don't think he's going to be the, you know, second line high scoring winger. Um, and then, you know, Drake Batherson, I think he's certainly shown that he has nothing left to prove at the American Hockey League level. Um, but taking hold of an NHL spot is still up to him. Just because you score at the American Hockey League level doesn't mean it's going to translate to the NHL level. I'm not saying that's the case with Drake. Um, I think he's a national hockey league player. Um, but you know, he's got to come into camp and, and earn that spot and, and be a consistent player on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, you have to work. It's, 
you know, that time you hear it all the time from, from coaches, you know, the time and space is gone. Everyone's faster. Everyone's bigger. Um, so you need to, you know, Drake is an offensive player. Um, so he needs to have possession of the puck to be successful at the NHL level. Um, so getting that strength, um, and being stronger on the puck is, is certainly going to be important. And he showed that he can do that in his last stint at the NHL level. I think, um, you know, the first couple of times he was called up, um, you know, especially when he made the team out of camp, he did not, um, look like himself. Um, but his, uh, final stint before he got sent down back to the American league for the last time, I think he showed a glimpse of what he could be at this level. Um, I think Batherson, you know, I wouldn't bet against him making the team, but again, like it's up to him, you know, you can't, there'll be a spot penciled in for Drake Batherson again. Um, but he needs to, you know, earn it to stay, if that makes sense. You know, he had that spot penciled in last season and and he lost it after two games, um, because he just didn't look confident in his game. So I think he, Batherson will be ready next season, but again, that's, you know, it's in his hands to, you know, come in and, and, you know, steal that spot and, and take hold of it. Um, you know, Foreman and Norris, I think were the surprising ones, given that they're both, um, American hockey league rookies. Um, you know, you don't want to put lofty expectations. You don't want to rush a player. It's all about their development and, and what's best for them in the long run. Um, but you know, from, in speaking with Troy, I think Troy would say that Alex Foreman is the most ready winger for the NHL, um, Batherson excluded, you know, Batherson has nothing left to prove in the AHL. Formanton's probably their most prepared NHL ready player. Um, he has elite speed. Um, he, he really exceeded expectations this season. You know, I think initially they thought he was going to mostly be, you know, score maybe 15 goals. He'll be, you know, a penalty kill guy. He's a great two way forward. Um, and he obviously scored 27 goals, which greatly exceeded the expectations. So um, I think Formanton certainly could take a spot for himself. Again, you have to come in fit. You have to come in a bit stronger. Um, so he'll have to earn that place. But I think I would say Formanton is probably the most prepared over anyone else with Drake Batherson excluded. Um, and I would say that Josh Norris is probably the most um, prepared centerman to make the Senators out of camp next year. Um, you know, he led the American Hockey League um, in rookie scoring and rookie points. Um, he was also third and fourth overall against men um, in goals and points. Um, so I think Josh really exceeded expectations as well. And, and I would say that, you know, his preparation um, would, would show that him and him and Alex are probably the most prepared of those rookie group. Um, Logan Brown, I think he is, you know, it's unquestionable that he's really skilled. His playmaking ability is, is exceptional, um, but he hasn't played a full season um, in maybe three or four years. You know, he's had quite a few injuries and I, and I think that, you know, has the ability to um, maybe delay the development. You know, you're, you're, he was making such great strides at the NHL level when he was called up. He was playing really well. He was an impactful player. Um, and then he hurt his wrist. Um, and then he went back to the American League. And then he, you know, was out with a big injury again. So I think staying healthy is going to be the key for Logan Brown um, before he can take that NHL spot. Um, were there any, what were the other ones that you maybe wanted to chat about? Cause like I said, I think Norris, um, is probably ahead of Logan Brown in terms of center depth for the prospects and then Formanton and Batherson. Those are the three that I would probably be more confident in having an impactful role at the NHL level. Um, I think you mentioned Abramov. Yes. I think he probably still has more work to do. Um, Abramov is one of those players that, you know, he's incredibly skilled he's so creative you've seen some of the highlight real goals that he scored um dating back to the queue you know he scored the michigan lacrosse style goal with um victoriaville i believe or maybe it was gatineau um but you know he had he is skilly as the creativity he has the hands um but he still doesn't have that like two-way game yet um and if you you can't play defense like you're not going to play in the nhl yet and that's not a shot at abramov he's really young i think it's just going to take maybe a little bit more time. I think he's a really intriguing prospect because of his high end talent and his high end skill. Um, but, you know, I think you saw it when he got called up to the NHL, you know, he scored his first goal. Um, he scored his first NHL goal. And then the next shift, he gave up a goal and then he essentially got benched. Um, and then the next game he played about five minutes and then he got sent back down. 
So I think that little highlight, and then he never got called up after that. So I think that shows a glimpse of the things that I think that highlights what Abramov needs to work on before he can be a full-time NHLer. That was such an amazing rundown. Like these are names who we've had, like who we've been hearing so much, like, you know, but the name just gets dropped here. It's like, oh yeah, this guy might be good. And look at this highlight clip. But in six minutes, I have such a clearer picture of how, like how the, the, the hierarchy of all these potential future sends uh, shakes out and comes together. Is it too tall a task now that you've brought us through that? to try and, you know, uh, fuse that information with the current Sens lineup and say what you think the top six looks like next year? Or is it just like such a total crapshoot? That's too tall a task. <laughs> I think that would be unfair to do because we don't know what's going to happen at the draft. There's a right, few players in that draft who could probably be, um, you know, immediate NHL players. So that's tough. Um, and then you don't know who's actually going to latch onto that spot. Um, And then you also, do you want to throw a rookie in the NHL in the top six, you know, just because, you know, the finished product of Norris and Batherson are, and Formanton are top six guys or middle six. Does that mean they're going to play that right away? Um, I think that's tough. I think to project the top six, like a few years down the road, like you could probably see a top line, like depending what happened at the draft, you know, you could potentially have like a, a Brady Kachuk, Quinton Byfield, um, Lafreniere first line. That'd be insane. I'm not, <laughs> you know, perfect. I think I just like, <laughs> I'm in. I think I made the expectations a little too high there, but um, I think it's, I think it depends on who you get, because like I said, there's some guys who could make the NHL right out of training camp um, and completely shake up everything. Um, like, I think Brady's always going to be one of your, your top guys. Um, I think finished product um, if he continues on the trajectory, Josh Norris could probably be a second line center. Um, maybe a few years down the road, if they, if, you know, if they draft a Byfield and they draft, you know, a Marco Rossi or a Stutzel, then maybe Norris drops to third line center. Um, and then that shakes up everything and you're centered up. Um, and I think it depends on the UFAs and the RFAs too. Um, I feel like I would ramble for an hour before deciding a top <laughs> six. So that's that's a good exercise though like predicting what the lineup is going to look like next season um but like i said i think you need the draft uh, before you can do that for sure right we might need to uh record an addendum after this yeah. <laughs> uh, after yeah, the draft after the to add to this podcast yeah <laughs> uh okay so we've talked this has been awesome talking through all the forwards and defensemen of note i think uh, we haven't brought up like the Connor Browns and the Mikhail Bodkers and whatever of the world. But I think I think we should be pretty good. I'd love to just end on goaltending now. Sure. And this season might have marked the end of an era in Ottawa. Craig Anderson's 10th season as a senator could very well have been his last as he's currently an unrestricted free agent. He's almost 39 years old. And it seems like the Sens have a few goalies that maybe are ready to come and take over in net like this season started with Anders Nilsson as the guy in the tandem with Anderson and Nilsson was pretty solid like all things considered he had a 908 save percentage through 20 games and it was interesting you know from a fantasy lens it was like these 20 games like some of them were like these outstanding performances like a 960 save percentage making like 40 saves and then there were some some really bad starts sprinkled in there but it all ended up averaging out to a 908 save percentage then when Nilsson went down with his concussion Marcus Hogberg came up and put up like similarly I guess pedestrian but not terrible numbers for the Sens. Like Hogberg went five, eight, and eight with a nine hundred four save percentage in twenty four games. And I, I like to think of these Sens goaltending numbers as like if you could be over nine hundred for a team like this young and like inexperienced with at the blue line. Like I think of that as a win. Maybe you could confirm that. So, uh, is the plan for next season to ride like a Nilsson Hogberg tandem and let Anderson walk as an unrestricted free agent? And if that is the case, like who would you expect to be the front runner to get the most starts next year? Yeah, well, I think the plan definitely is to have the Nilsson-Hogberg tandem next season. Um, Craig Anderson's UFA this summer. And, you know, I think when you just look at the way that Pierre Dorian signed the contract extensions for both both Nilsson and Hogberg, um, Nilsson has one year left on his deal, um, which is next season. And then Marcus Hogberg is on a one-way contract next year. Um, So, you know, I don't really see a reality where they bring Craig Anderson back in. Um, I don't think they would ride with three goalies. Um, I think what Andy has done for the organization in the last decade is incredible. And he's always going to have an amazing legacy in Ottawa. Um, but I think, you know, that tandem is going to be Nielsen and Hogberg. Um, I think it depends on, you know, 
I, I think the way that DJ Smith sees it is that if you want to win in the National Hockey League, you basically need a 1A, 1B. And, you know, his plan this season when he had the Andy Nilsson tandem is he was kind of trying to go 50-50. He was never letting a guy sit too long. And he was always giving the guy who had the hot hand the next start. Um, so with that being said, you know, Nilsson is the older of the two. He showed flashes that he could be a starting goaltender in the National Hockey League. And Hogberg is still pretty young. So I think an early prediction, if Nilsson can be healthy, because he did have a few months of concussion struggles. So that's the big asterisk on all of this is if Nilsson can get his health back. Um, but I would say that Nilsson would probably end up with maybe more of the starts, but I think Hogberg would have the opportunity based on his play to steal that starting position. Um, but that's completely in both of their hands based on, you know, the way that DJ likes to run his goaltenders. Um, you know, if Hogberg starts playing exceptional, even though he is younger and he's more inexperienced, you know, DJ's not going to take the crease away from him. Um, so I think that is, you know, up for those two to decide next season. I think that's certainly the duo that they're going to run with. Um, Nilsson will probably start as the starter. But like I said, if Hogberg starts playing really well and he takes a step, um, then I think the crease is Hogberg's. And they'll probably lean towards that um, just to test him out and see how he could do as a starter because that's probably the plan. Um, I think, you know, when Nilsson's gone, the plan would probably be to have like a Hogberg Gustafson or, you know, a Hogberg um, Mandelies or Sogard or even um, Joey Decord, you know, whoever it may be as that second goaltender. But I think the plan is for Hogberg to be their starter. Um, so they'll probably give him a few more starts than, than I'd maybe expect just to see how he can handle it. So you mentioned for the present, it's Nilsson and Hogberg and whoever can really step up between the two based on health and ability has the opportunity to step up. But you also mentioned the glut of goaltending prospects that the Senators have in their pipeline. They've got Decord, Gustafsson, Mangalese, and you've also got uh, Hogberg himself, who is still technically a goaltending prospect. So of that younger group, excluding Anders Nilsson, who I assume will be on his way at some point, um, in three to five years from now, which two of these goalies do you see being the most likely to be in the Senators' NHL crease? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think, um, you know, I think the the hope and the plan is that it'll be um, Hogberg and, and Gustafsson. Um, I think that's kind of what the team's probably invested in as their long-term plan. Um, I do think that Joey Decord has has done a great job in establishing himself as a legitimate NHL prospect. Um, I think he's kind of the wild card, given that he started in the East Coast, or I guess it's just the ECHL now. Um, I always get caught saying the East Coast League. Um, you know, he got sent to the ECHL and, and he played a bunch of games. And, you know, I, I don't think he, he probably, no goalie would say that they like being in the ECHL, but I think it was probably the best thing for Joey's game. Um, and then he ended up stealing that starting spot in the American Hockey League from Gus. Um, so I think you have this really interesting tension now where you see the, you know, the, the, the plan was for Hogberg and Gus. Hogberg is obviously a step ahead. Um, but then you see that really interesting tension that's building in the AHL level between Decord and Gustafson. Um, and I think you're going to see that play out next season again because it's going to be Hogberg and Nelson. Um, and I think what happens at the American Hockey League level next year will maybe show the cards a little bit more. You know, if if Gustafson struggles and, and Decord steals that spot again, then maybe the maybe the plan shifts a bit more and you're looking at Joey Decord as as your backup guy in the National Hockey League. Maybe Gus takes a great step and he's your guy still. Um, so I think it's difficult to to make that prediction right now. I, I do believe that the Senators' plan, though, is for a Hogberg-Gustafson pairing in the future. Um, but I think that all depends on, on how these young guys develop. They're all so young. I think Gustafson's only 20 years old, 21 years old. Um, so I, I think it's tough to, to tap him without a doubt. But it, it's, it's also difficult to, to you know, question um, you know, his, his ability at such a young age already. You know? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had so much trouble this season projecting the goalies who have like 10 years of NHL experience. So obviously it's yeah. going to be hard to project the goalies that are just in their early 20s. But interesting for the Sens and obviously a nice problem to have. They have all these potential yes. goalies. They just need to hope that one or two of them end up turning out to be ready to take the jump and lead the NHL team once they get, like you said, once they get Lafreniere and Byfield in the, in the top two picks of the draft, <laughs> all they'll need is this good goalie and they'll be ready to go. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the one final question before we let you go is a question we've been asking to all of the different beat writers from around the league. Because uh, we are a, a fantasy hockey podcast, so we do like to think about, like, offensively, people are going to be drafting Ottawa Senators in their drafts next year. And if they do so, who do you think is one Ottawa Senator that will be, like, the biggest positive surprise for people next season? So someone who, like, they'll draft them really late, or maybe they won't even draft them, and then they'll end up being like, oh, wow, what a what a steal here. This person's way overperforming. And then on the other end, who's one center that you think will be the biggest disappointment, someone who people will expect too much from and then end up not getting what they were hoping for. That's a good question. I mean, I guess given that you said it's a surprise, like Brady Kachuk and Shabbat, I don't think would be surprises. Um, I think like a good sleeper pick from a fantasy perspective would probably be like a Connor Brown. Um, I think he's been given you know, bigger opportunity in Ottawa. You know, he's not just playing on the penalty kill um, and on the fourth line like he was in Toronto. Um, You know, he probably would have scored 20 goals, 50 points if the season finished. Um, And, you know, I think Connor will just continue to play well next season, given that he has so much trust from DJ. He plays on all situations, even strength, power play, penalty kill. He's great shorthanded. Um, so I would say like a good sleeper pick would be Connor Brown. He could maybe be a good positive surprise. He's probably cheaper on fantasy. I'm sorry I don't play too much. Um, you know, he was second on the team in points and scoring. So uh, not scoring, but second on the team in points, like one point behind Brady. So if you think Brady's a sure thing, then Connor Brown's probably a good pick as well. Yeah, definitely um, he's a good answer as someone that's not on people's radars, considering we didn't even ask you about him in this yeah, podcast. Like he's clearly not on our radars. <laughs> Yeah, so I think Connor Brown could be like your good positive surprise. Um, maybe someone that could be disappointing. Um, you know, I, I maybe wouldn't, you know, draft, you know, like an Artem Anisimov. Um, right. He probably wouldn't be a high draft pick. Um, I think if we were talking this season, people, if maybe someone took Colin White in the first round, they were probably maybe a bit disappointed. Um, but you know, I, yeah, I would probably go with like an Anisimov. Um, you know, I don't think he's gonna, you know, he's a good player. He has his role. He's the veteran guy in the locker room, but you know, veteran locker room guidance doesn't show up in fantasy hockey. So. Right. If only, (laughs) uh, if only locker room motivational ability showed up as a fantasy hockey category or mentorship players mentored. Uh, then Artem Anisimov <laughs> would be great. But yeah, we can forget him. Even those days when he was playing with Patrick Kane, like sometimes he was really great to have and some days yes. uh, he was really still a non-factor. Okay, yes. so nobody pick Artem Anisimov, but Connor Brown absolutely uh, could yes. be a good get. Thank you for your thoughts, Haley, on that. And like everything we asked you about <laughs> both the Ottawa Senators and the Belleville Senators, I feel like we know so much more now than when we started and are good to go. Um, as as best we can be for whenever the NHL on pauses and we get to the draft and next year's season. So thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, if people want to get more of your insights and your news and all the stuff you have to offer, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, so all my stuff is, uh, I write for The Athletic. Um, so all my stuff will be on The Athletic NHL or The Athletic Ottawa. Um, and I, I post a lot of my stories on Twitter. Uh, my handle is just Haley underscore Salvian uh, H-A-I-L-E-Y, uh, and then S-A-L-V-I-A-N uh, is my Twitter handle. Okay, great. We'll definitely link to that in our show notes and also your page on The Athletic. So yeah, thanks again for joining us. And I am excited to see who the Sens get in this draft and what happens next year. I'm really excited now about the Sens after this interview. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, I'm excited too. It'll be, uh, I feel like my job is going to get... Uh, really busy really quickly if they announce a June draft. So um, fingers crossed and, and we'll see what happens. Okay, great. Well, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, thanks guys. All right. Well, I got a few monkeys off my back. 
in that interview. And Haley uh, is the person we needed to talk to us about the Ottawa Senators being the optimist, just looking forward, forgetting about the backward and looking forward is a beautiful, beautiful outlook as we just discussed. So thank you again, Haley Salvian, whose work you can read at The Athletic and follow on Twitter. We hope you all enjoyed it. And Elon, uh, beat number eight is coming up next. Are you going to, are you going to spoil? Sure. Yeah. We've got a couple more interviews scheduled. I'm going to be talking soon to Sean Shapiro for the Dallas stars. And we're going to drop that episode as we have been for all of these on Wednesday. Then it looks like we're going to have Arthur Staple talking about the New York Islanders next weekend. So yeah, we're just keeping this train rolling. I keep on saying train. I don't know what other vehicle I should be using. Who even rides a train anymore? Especially Everybody. in Canada. Is that is that whole thing happening still with the trains being not Ottawa running? I just Can- built an entire light rail transit system. Okay, yeah, I'm not, but you know the Trans Canada via rail, they were stopped because there were protests. But then now coronavirus and all of this stuff happened. So once, uh, what, what's that, Brian? Let's just stop down, not talk about hockey for a second. What's going on with the via rail system right now? I I have no idea. You have no idea. Ilan, okay, I could not tell you. All I know is that we do need a high speed rail link between Ottawa, Montreal, and Toronto that we that could invest handy. in. And across Canada, train is should be it should be easier to uh, travel by train than it is by plane. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, uh, so all that and more on some other podcast <laughs> that you can listen to, uh, and feel free to tweet at us and let us know about all of the transit <laughs> information that we are lacking at Keeping Carlson. But okay, I guess we'll let people go now. Thanks again for listening. Once again, we'd love that five star review on Apple Podcasts if you'd be so kind. But Brian, with that, let's cue the outro music. Oh, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Maxime and someone who goes by the moniker Crowd Pleaser. Welcome aboard. We'll see you in that patrons-only Facebook group. If anyone else is interested, patreon.com slash keepingcarlson. Uh, logo art by Brandon Weeb, outro music by Pat Roach, and this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, and Hockey Database. Great job, as always, Brian, and I'll be back talking with you about all the other teams in the NHL coming soon. I'm having a blast. Me too. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sons.